Hi, it's Emily. We wanted to put a content warning at the top of the episode today because the deep dive is about Sylvia Plath. You likely know that Sylvia Plath died by suicide. The deep dive includes descriptions of her suicide attempts and her eventual death, as well as the suicides of two other people who were part of her sphere. There are also mentions of spousal abuse and an incident of infanticide. If that's not content you want to hear today, you might want to turn this episode off at the mid-episode break. If you are experiencing emotional distress or suicidal ideation and are in need of support now or ever, the number for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Support is available there 24-7 via call or text. This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of February 27 through March 3, 2023. It's the teen uh sorry no the high school reunion tournament high school reunion high school reunion tournament i got a little tripped up because uh these were contestants who appeared on the teen tournament uh Mm -hmm. back in the not that long ago honestly yeah Um, really i mean like it's a long time for them because these are formative years Mm -hmm. uh not a long time for us because we're just trudging our way toward retirement (laughs) yes um i'm getting older every day every Um, single day one step mm -hmm. closer to the grave yep but before we get into the episodes how are you doing kyle i'm okay i'm okay we're out of february which is nice we're into march um which means it's uh, festival season. So I have, we have like our normal concerts and then we have orchestra festival next week. So I have two concerts, two performances next week. Uh, and then band festival after spring break and then jazz festival after that. Mm-hmm. We're in the, uh, stressful performances <laughs> season. Yep. You know, holiday performances aren't really stressful for me. Cause I'm like, it's whatever. We're just here to have fun. But these ones are like judged and you get comments and scores and like, and the kids get really nervous. And I'm like, guys, it's not a big deal. They're like, but what if the, what if the clinician just like says a bunch of mean stuff? I'm like, they're not going to say mean stuff. They're getting paid to be there. Mm -hmm. They're going to, if anything, they're going to pull their punches and be too nice to you because like, it doesn't matter to them. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're just going to do their job. And also, it's fine. You guys are fine. I don't know. They're just so nervous. Like, yeah, okay. It's yeah. Fine. But that's well, okay. It's... But spring break is coming up. I have one more week until spring break. Wow. Which I know nice. seems weird to, to you coastal elites who have your school year go to the end of June or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, we have February and then uh, a week in April. So we just we just got off of our February break, and then we've got our our spring break coming up during Holy Week. It's always Holy Week in this area. They just line it up with Holy Week so that everybody can go away. <laughs> and not I mean that's be, smart, I guess. Sort of, sort of. <laughs> um, 
I get very uh, annoyed about it because obviously it doesn't work well for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I think that the non-religious folks in the community and in the school district leadership think of it as a way that they are accommodating people of faith. Whereas the houses of worship are like all ready to tear our hair out because like we get to the, like the most important days of the year, the year and everybody like, you know, maybe they will go to church wherever they are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it's not going to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody is just going away. They may, they're going to visit family. They're going to the Caribbean, like whatever they're, they're, they're going somewhere that's not here. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and it's weird because it moves around. Next year, our April break is going to be in late March <laughs> because Easter is super early. Um, Interesting. Yes. Huh. Yep. I mean, they, they don't officially call it April. I think they call it spring break. But but yeah, yeah it, it just slides around from anywhere from late March to late April. Oh, uh, oh I would hate that as a teacher. It's Yeah, it's not oh. great. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, we, we, like, we do our grades and, and like credits for graduation we do it quarterly Mm -hmm. so our breaks are lined up at the end of every quarter that sounds better it is very predictable it Mm -hmm. is very nice i i I really like that setup yeah that sounds great oh that would be so rough especially with it being early because like i want my break to be late Mm -hmm. i want my break to be as late as possible like as much as it's like and there's not much time (laughs) exactly the least amount of time after a break is preferable Mm because once i go on spring break i'm like well i'm waiting out the clock at this point (laughs) (laughs) yep Mm -hmm. yeah so we are just back from break but yes it does sound wild to me that you are coasting to the finish line and we've got like (laughs) Oh gosh! You're, you're just we've got like up. we've got like four solid months of school. I think our last day is like June 26th or something. Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. there is there is so much school year left to go. Yeah, May 25th is our last day. Yeah that that sounds that sounds nice. That sounds nice. Now I'm just dreaming about the end of May. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Jeopardy. Yes, let's do. Uh, All right. So. so so before we get into like this week's recaps, uh, let's. I mean, quickly, just not even talking about the games necessarily. Uh, but this tournament, the way it's set up is nine quarterfinal games, which leads to nine semifinalists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that can result in three semifinal games and then a final two-game total point affair. Uh, so this week we get the last four quarterfinals and the first semifinal um, but last week, when uh, you know we, we did not really have an episode, um, we had a bunch of people coming back from the team tournament from like 2018 and 2019. Uh, I think, if I recall, uh, Michael Davies talked about this and was like, that year there were two teen tournaments, like that season, because there were so many strong teen uh, contestants mm-hmm. who auditioned. So they decided to just have two teen tournaments and they thought it would be a good idea to like, let's bring a bunch of them back let's you know that particular season just had so many high quality high schoolers and even an eighth grader in those tournaments that they wanted to bring them back yeah so just real quick last monday february 20th we uh had rohit maya and audrey coming back and uh maya was the winner so she moved on 
like I said, I'm not talking about the games themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday was Allison, Jack, and Avi, who, if we recall, Avi was the uh, the winner of one of the team tournaments. Um, he pulled it out at the end. He came from second place and moved on to the semifinals. Uh, on Wednesday, we had Srikar, Autumn, and Stephanie. Stephanie uh, ended up winning by just a dollar. Uh, she got mm-hmm. it right from second place, and Srikar uh, missed it. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, we had Tegan, Shreya, and Justin, and uh, that was a that was a good game. I mm. mean, they were all they were all pretty good games. I, I enjoyed a lot of them, but uh, that one was a, kind of was a, a much closer game. Uh, Justin ended up pulling it out and moving on. And then on Friday, we had Isabella, Ryan, and Jackson, and Jackson was uh, ultimately the winner and moved on to the semifinals from there. So that brings mm-hmm. us to this week where we have the last four uh, quarterfinals. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, So Monday, uh, we get the contestants Rhea Sinha, a Cornell University graduate from Chatham, New Jersey. Claire Sattler, a senior at Yale University from Bonita Springs, Florida. And Rohan Kapilashwari, a senior at the University of Texas at Austin from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And the Jeopardy round categories are home from college. What's that sigh... Brief science abbreviation, uh, non potent potables. They're college students now, so you know, that's no right. Potent, no potent potables for them, right? I mean, Many I think, of unless them. they're <laughs> juniors or seniors, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, describing the musical instrument begins and ends with L and Daniel Radcliffe on Harry Potter, a video category with Daniel Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. I like Daniel Radcliffe, yeah. It's really encouraging to see like the child actors from the Harry Potter series seem mm-hmm. to have turned out to be just like good people. Yeah. And the, many of them have turned out to be lovely people. I, I, don't, I don't know if I, I don't know. That's if true. I can't say checked all. in on every know. single one of them. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I've, uh, I've followed their, their careers a bit. And like Emma Watson has gone on to do some kind of blockbustery sorts of you know, sorts of things or some like, you know, some big, big roles in like, you know, kind of wide release, like whatever, like live action mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. And she was in Little Women and like whatever. And like Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grant, like they're working, but it seems almost like they have used, you know, their, their young success to let themselves like, just like follow their bliss and just do whatever yeah. like quirky indie stuff, like sounds fun. Want. And yeah. like, that's so great. That's so cool. I, yeah, man. I love Daniel Radcliffe like, uh-huh. just doing his stuff. Uh, yeah. And my, like my like mom, you, like you can't tell me that he couldn't get, big money kind of lowbrow like whatever you know roles but like he's just yeah. he's just doing what he wants to do yeah he's playing weird al on a roku movie <laughs> like yes man yes uh-huh. he's acting on broadway mm-hmm. in i think he was in equus he was in equus yeah. yes yes my, he was. that's okay because mm-hmm. i was like is it is it Daniel Radcliffe that my mom likes to say she has seen naked? Yes. <laughs> yes, yep. it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just cool. I just. Yeah, I, I like him. Yeah, feels yeah. nice. Yep. Because, you know, childhood stardom sucks. It doesn't, <laughs> it it doesn't, be real, real it doesn't go well for everybody. For, yeah. So it's nice to see. Yeah, it seems like it's gone fine for them. So good for them. I, Yay. You know, that being said. 
they have probably worked through things with therapists oh, just I, in I, general. I, mm-hmm. But it seems that they have worked through things. So that's yes. nice to know. Mm-hmm. I've been getting some kind of targeted ads for something that the actor who played Neville Longbottom is in these days, but I don't know what it is. I remember when, like, when we all got into our twenties, he was like, "Ooh, did you see how hot Neville turned yeah, out to be?" It had a glow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I understand that, like, Harry Potter is like. I mean, we all, we just like you just got to know Harry Potter for trivia purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, still, the two hundred dollar level asking for the name of the awful relative who raised Harry Potter, like feels like a little deep for 200 to me, Vernon Dursley. Right. Like, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a $200 level in the, in, yeah, in the sink, in the jeopardy round, it's, you can't figure that out. Right. Like, I feel like at the $200 level, like I want the correct response to be like, maybe like wand or like or you know harry potter (laughs) sorcerer's stone right like yeah something who that someone who hasn't read the books could possibly get yeah yeah i agree i agree with that i did think that that was a a little bit too much Mm -hmm. although i mean to be fair the category is daniel radcliffe on harry potter it is specifically a harry potter category yes i guess yeah Eh, still Still, yeah. the 200 should have been like, anyone yeah, Je- could get it. The Jeopardy writers know how to write a clue that references something and then asks a more general knowledge kind of question that's know. gettable. They haven't done it very much. <laughs> Getting away from from Daniel Radcliffe, as sad as that is. Mm. Uh, the non-potent potables at the $1,000 level was a triple stumper. Meaning Redbush, this caffeine-free South African tea, and they showed a picture, has surged in popularity in recent years. Like I said, it was a triple stumper. No one tried it. That's Ruibos. Yes. Ruibos tea. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's family lived in South Africa for about four years when she oh, was a cool. kid. And they they swear by Ruibos tea. Uh, it's, you know, in my big fat Greek wedding, how Windex is like the thing to fix mm-hmm. all ailments or whatever. Yeah. Ruibos tea is the, the thing to fix all ailments. That's great. Um, that they picked up from, from South Africa. So yeah. we, we always have Rubos um, from some South African company that they ship out. Mm-hmm. I, I like that stuff. It's good stuff. It is good. I was on a choir tour in South Africa in 2004 for like a month where I first encountered, I, I, don't, I can't pronounce it right. I always just say Rubos as if it were like R-O-Y. Um, yeah, but, close enough. It's fine. Um, Unfortunately, I encountered it in the context of seeing it, asking about it, and my pro-apartheid host family uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> just rejecting it as like an uncivilized kind of tea. Um, yeah, it was it was bad. It was Yikes. bad. Yes. Oh, no. yeah. We- um, yeah. They yeah. never came out and said identified as pro apartheid, but they were very like rah rah for trekker, like you know, mm. changing the names of the towns has gone too far, like whatever. Like it, yes, it was. It's, <laughs> it's fine to let them vote, but let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, very much like that. It, ugh. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the home from college category at the $800 level. It is pick number 16. Rohan finds it. He is at 4,000. Claire is at 3,200. Rhea is at 2,200. Bets it all. 
which is the right move, gets the category Home in Jersey City. Stroll with your high school crush in Liberty State Park on the banks of this river. And he gets it right with What is the Hudson? Mm-hmm. Well, it's right near me. Uh, I mean, Jersey City is or the Hudson? No, the Hudson. Well, I think Liberty State Park, you can like, that's where you can see the Statue of Liberty from, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. And I, you know, I'm just going to say Jersey City is close to you because everything yeah. on the East Coast, East Coast is close together. I mean, you know, Jersey City is not, not close to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you probably, to be honest, you probably have more people between you and it than I do between here and New Mexico. So, <laughs> Yeah, I could drive there in about 48 minutes, but like. If I wanted to see the Statue of Liberty, I probably wouldn't drive to New Jersey for that purpose, right? Like, I mean, let's um, be real. Would you drive to New Jersey for any purpose? I mean, mean, (laughs) come on. I'm just kidding. I love New Jersey. New Jersey's great. I'm not from over there, so I have no Mm -hmm. feelings in particular. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Rohan's at 9,200. Claire's at 4,600. Rhea's at 3,800. And the double Jeopardy categories are the Golden Age, Companies in History, Southerners, Pure poetry, social science, and before and after. Mm-hmm. We love a before and after. Love a before and after. <laughs> Peter Pan's enemy is the way you were fooled into completely believing a story. Captain Hook, Line, and Sinker. <laughs> yeah. Rohan the, got that one. The $2,000 clue, I'm kind of surprised it was a triple stumper because... So the clue was three of a kind plus a pair for the family that lost England's War of the Roses. Rohan rang in and guessed what is full house of Lancaster. And that's incorrect. And since he got rid of Lancaster, I feel like, I mean, maybe they just don't know the war of the roses and that's fine. But the only other option is full house of York, which was the correct response, Mm -hmm. which, you know, kids, if you didn't know the uh, Royal houses of England, we have it in our back catalog. Deep dive on that. We can help you. We can help you. We're here for you. Join us. The two thousand dollar level of pure poetry was a triple stumper, and understandably so. This is—I I, I thought this was a difficult one. In nineteen fifty, "Bitter Strawberries" by this Boston-born woman became her first nationally published poem. Not bad for a seventeen-year-old. Uh, Rohan tried "Who Is Carson?" that turned into a triple stumper. Uh, Sylvia Plath is who we were looking for here, and I guess "Bitter Strawberries" is like—I—I I didn't know that poem title. Like, yeah. I guess you have to get it from like a Boston born female poet who, you know, like, and and, like the era. Yeah. Um, I like Sylvia Plath did not cross my mind, but when it like, as that's the correct response, I was like, so she was only 17 in 1950. I don't know. It seemed too young for how I had her placed in time. Oh, but I guess I just didn't have her placed in the right time i wasn't sure when she died but i think i would have guessed that she was a little older than that yeah that's what i thought i i would have put her older yeah in the Mm -hmm. 50s but but it was sylvia plant yep who is worth knowing Mm -hmm. outside of the bell jar apparently Daily Double number two is in social science at the $1,600 level, and Rhea finds it at the 11th pick. She has 5000 with Rohan at 8400 and Claire at 8600 She wagers 3000 to kind of get herself up 
in the mix. Um, and she gets the clue. It's a social ideal meant to motivate people towards success. A book by a New York Times columnist is subtitled Waking Up From It. She tries what is motivation, but they're looking for the American dream. Mm. That was hard to parse. <clears throat> yeah, that's a very like the American dream is a very specific thing. Whereas the clue does not necessarily point to it being like, you know, this national term or anything like that. So, yeah, I don't I'm not surprised that that was a hard one to go yeah. get for unless you know the title of that book. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Daily Double number three is in the pure poetry category. Also at the sixteen hundred dollar level, it's pick number 19. Rohan finds it. It's at ten thousand. Clears at eleven thousand four hundred and Rhea's at thirty two hundred. Apparently doesn't feel very confident about poetry. I don't blame him. If wagers five dollars. Honestly, I might have done the same. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The clue is name checking herself. This Lesbos poet quote asked myself, "What her can you give one who has everything like Aphrodite?" And he gets it correct with uh, who is Sappho. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, um, Claire is in the lead with eleven thousand four hundred. Rohan is at nine thousand two hundred five, and Rhea is at fifty six hundred. The final Jeopardy category is African countries. And the clue is once Africa's largest country in area, it dropped a third in 2011 when a portion of it declared independence. So uh, Rhea tried what is the Republic of the Congo. That is not correct. She's wagered 3606, uh, dropping her down to just under 2000. And Rohan gets it correct with what is Sudan. He has not wagered anything, um, anticipating that Claire will wager fairly big and lock him out if she's correct, drop below mm-hmm. him if she's if she misses. And Claire does have it correct with what is Sudan and a thank you to Mrs. Knox uh, and a $7,011 wager, which gives her the win and sends her to the semifinals. Yep, which I'm sure feels good. Uh, you know, Avi and Claire coming in, they were the two teen tournament winners. So mm-hmm. I imagine they were feeling a lot of pressure to to yeah. perform in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Tuesday, we get the contestants, Audrey Sachivi, a senior at Indiana university, Bloomington from Carmel, Indiana. That's a really rich suburb. Mm. Anish Madipoti, a junior at the university of Texas from, or at Austin from Austin, Texas and Lucas minor, a junior at Yale university from Miami, Florida. And we have the jeopardy round categories. You're in college now. People from Islands, Hobbies and Pastimes, Rappers, 13-Letter Words, and The Nose Knows. Mm-hmm. This is two games in a row with one Yaley and one University of Texas student, um, which those are both good schools, but that's, that's like, what are the chances, really, you know? I mean... Yeah, but certain schools are going to try to recruit, you know. Yeah. I I would imagine being on the teen tournament in Jeopardy is going to attract some attention from from colleges. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I would imagine it's like, hey, come to Mm -hmm. us and we can put you on our advertising. Yeah. And also offer you scholarships, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, while we're while we're plugging the back catalog, the I thousand dollar say the same thing. <laughs> the thousand dollar level of hobbies and pastimes is that the one you were heading for? Yes, uh, it it's was. The, it's the fancy fancier word for the hobby of stamp collecting. That is philately, and uh, you can check out the back catalog for my uh, for my deep dive on stamps and stamp collecting. That was a fun one. I, I say that about yeah. I say that about all the deep dives because <laughs> they're all fun. We are fun, fun people. We're and fun learning people, is fun. and learning is fun. Yes. Yes. I'm going to shout out my students, none of whom listen to this because I tell them not to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're like, when they find out I have a podcast, they're like, oh, cool. Should I listen to it? I'm like, no, Absolutely not. <laughs> no, not unless you're really interested in Jeopardy. And they're like, oh, I mean, not really. I'm like, yeah, you'd be bored. It Don't, don't bother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it weren't for them, I would not have done nearly so well in the rappers category as I did. Mm. The, the only one I didn't get was Earl Sweatshirt, who <laughs> cool name, bro. <laughs> I just, I never would have, never would have gotten an Earl Sweatshirt. Yeah. But like Bad Bunny would never have known about Bad Bunny, except I have a lot of students uh, of Hispanic heritage and they listen to Bad Bunny a lot. And so mm-hmm. when I give them opportunities to like share the music that they listen to, which we do every so often, like, you know, it's after the concert. Today is just a day where, all right, bring in a song you like and talk about the person who made it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Bad Bunny comes up a lot. So I was able to get that one. That was a $600 nice. clue. Yeah. I had heard of Bad Bunny, like, vaguely, like, like from, like, spit in class. Right. Um, okay. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I did not know him from the uh, from the clue. I didn't know Megan the Stallion and Lil Nas X, so I'm not hopeless. Sure. Yeah, I, I got those two. But yeah. uh, and and Nicki Minaj. Nicki yeah. Minaj. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daily double number one is the very first brick of the round uh, at the $800 level of people from islands. Uh, so Lucas sets the tone, gets us gets us started with the daily double, and wagers a thousand because everybody's got zero at this point. He gets the clue Boracua is a word for a person from this island or of its heritage. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a proud Boracua, uh, and he knows that it is Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Lucas is in the lead with 4,800. Anisha's at 4,000, Audrey at 3,000. And the double Jeopardy categories are Stay Classy, Classical Music, They Wrote em, That's a Laugh, Medieval Times, South Americana and get set with set in quotation marks. My current bit with my kids is that every time somebody references medieval times, I pretend to believe that they are referring to the dining establishment with the, with the dinner show. <laughs> well, what else would they be talking about? <laughs> it's very, it's a good bit. I encourage everyone to do it. <laughs> do your kids like get it? Do they know what medieval times they, is? Um, yes. Although only one of them has been to med- medieval times. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, shortly before COVID, my, my, my son, my older son had, had done, you know, I don't know, something great and, you know, merited a, a special like outing. And my younger daughter was still, I don't know, three or four and was probably not going to enjoy a dinner show with jousting. <laughs> So, um, Fair. I don't know. Yeah. We'll get back there someday. Yeah. I went as a teenager as part of a trip and it was like, it was fine. I don't know. I was a dumb teenager. I don't remember much of it other than like 
yeah, there was jousting and it was like fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't give you utensils. You have to eat with your hands because it's I, you're right. Times. I do recall that. That was mm-hmm. that was cool. I yeah. enjoyed that as a you know 16 year old boy mm-hmm. being like, all right, let's get messy. Yep. What did you think of the stay classy classical music category? It was fine. I don't know. I realize this is for, you know, college students. So maybe they don't know classical music. I thought it was easy. I thought it was really mm-hmm. easy, to, yeah. be, to be fair. Um, and they, they did fine with it. You know, Lucas seemed to do particularly well. I thought it was easy. Yeah. Not ju- not just for me personally, but for like Jeopardy level classical music questions. Yeah, Hev- was, heavily, heavily hinted. Lots of lots mm-hmm. of ways, lots of entry points here, I think. Yeah. And the only thing that is like beyond like absolute surface level is the Brandenburg concertos, maybe? Right. That's the one that you have to actually know really know the ti- a title of. I mean William Tell mm-hmm. you have to know, but like basically if there's a Swiss story in yeah. opera, it's William Tell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. I mean, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. I have no quibbles with it, which I I know was probably surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of your TV shows that you've mentioned came up in that's a laugh at the twelve hundred dollar level. This mockumentary mm-hmm. series focuses on vampires who naturally live together on Staten Island. That's uh, what we do in the in shadows, shadows. Yes. which I had heard of from you. It's still on my list. It is. It's still on my list too. We're we're you know working through it, and up just above that. Uh, TV's longest-running live-action sitcom is this one set at Patty's Pub in the City of Brotherly Love. Uh, Audrey got it. That's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Somebody, at least one Jeopardy writer, absolutely loves that show because it is always coming up. Mm-hmm. So be prepared. Be prepared for that. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the South Americana category at the $2,000 level. Audrey finds it. She's at 3,400. Luke is at 4,800. Anisha is at 4,000. This is pick number four. Uh, and she wagers 2,000. Gets a clue. Isabella Ande casts a spell with this two-word writing style in which myth and fantasy are key elements. And she responds, what is magic realism? And that's accepted. Uh, magical. I've normally heard it magical realism, but mm-hmm. I, if it has been referred to as magic realism, then it's acceptable. So. Yep. That um, is, it is accepted, which mm-hmm. I'm okay with. I don't, I don't mind the the exclusion of the last like two letters there. I don't. She clearly knows it. Mm-hmm. Maya, this is a place where like sh- I, I don't know whether Mayam did certainly Ken would have said yeah or magical realism, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to like kind of get the more common term in there, even if magic realism is you know close enough and acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Daily Double Three is in Medieval Times at the $1,600 level, and Lucas finds it at the 14th pick. He is at $10,400 in the lead with Audrey at $9,000, and Anish is at $6,800. Lucas wagers $5,000. Okay. And he gets the clue around 1300 this fabled city just north of the niger river a center of trade and learning became part of the mali empire and he gets it correct it's timbuktu Mm -hmm. which i think i thought was a made-up word for an embarrassing amount of my life (laughs) i mean you know until sometime in college when i was like oh that's an actual city and not just like not just some joke from cartoons right yeah 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 I, yeah. I had the same same feeling. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Lucas is in the lead at 16,600. Anisha is at 7,200. And Audrey is at 12,600. And we get the final Jeopardy category, Names of Myth. And the clue is her brothers, Castor and Pollux, saved her after Theseus stole her away as a kid. A larger force would seek her later in life. Uh, Anish wrote, who is LeBron James? <laughs> Love you, mom and dad. <laughs> cool. Takes a lot of steps to get there, but I see where he went with that for sure. Definitely. Um, that's incorrect. He wagered 801. Audrey got it correct with who is Helen of Troy and wagered 2801. Uh, and Lucas also got it correct with who is Helen of Troy and then wrote Bula Bula, which I don't know if that is. It's a Yale a, thing. Yale it's a Yale thing. thing. That's yeah. Cool. Cool. I'm glad you're proud of your university or whatever. It's fine. And he made a cover bet. So he's moving on to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Wednesday, March 1st. And the contestants are Isha Sohel, a UCLA graduate from Bakersfield, California. Dan Oxman, a senior at the University of Maryland from South Orange, New Jersey. And Tim Joe, a senior at Columbia University from Champaign, Illinois. And the Jeopardy round categories are, I'm sorry, there's more math. (laughs) Art supplies, onomatopoeia, recent movies, carpe diem. Uh, Each response includes the day that we are seizing and unions. Clearly, uh, these whippersnappers are too young to have watched the Santa Claus every Christmas in their childhood because the $1,000 level of onomatopoeia was a triple stumper. The clue is this loud disturbance arose out on the lawn in Twas the Night, Bef- Twas the Night Before Christmas. Nobody even guessed clatter. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Rose Such a Clatter Company is a classic joke All from right. Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. It's an important plot point that he asks what a clatter is. Mm. I have seen the Santa Claus, but I did not, not recently enough to remember the plot point. Oh, I haven't watched it since, uh, I don't know, since I lived, (laughs) since I lived at home with my parents. Mm. Uh, But we, it was one of our yearly viewings. Mm hmm. At the $200 level of Carpe Diem, this show introduced us to Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, Colleen Rafferty's Alien Encounters, and the immortal Turd Ferguson. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> of Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, SNL Celebrity Jeopardy. Of course, Tim rang in and said SNL. And then um, before, he, he could have been ruled incorrect on that had he not expanded uh, because they do require... they the. The category requires you to say a day. So he needed to say the full name of the program at Saturday Night Live. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it was at the Tournament of Champ, or was it when we were there that uh, contestant Wrangler Ryan wore a Turd Ferguson? Yes, it was when we were there. It was when we were there. Yeah. 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 They love Celebrity Jeopardy at Jeopardy. Uh huh. Yep. The the, the crew loves it. Yep. It's Mm -hmm. classic. And we had a really tough miss at the $800 level for Tim. Um, ultimately, didn't super matter. But the uh, clue was, in 2017, Jake Gyllenhaal connected the dots as Sarah in a revival of this musical. And Tim said, what is Sunday at the park with George? He just had the wrong preposition. It is Sunday mm-hmm. in the park with George. Yes. 
Daily Double number one is in the unions category at the $2,000 level. Tim finds this one as well. He just played a really dominant game. He controlled the board most of the time. He's at 3000 uh, at this point, and he wagers it all. Dan's at 1800 each is at 2400 And the clue is, it was a marriage of true minds when this pair wedded France on July 26th, 1895. The bride wore a dark blue dress she could use in the lab. And he gets corrected with her, Pierre and Marie Curie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Tim is already up to 10,600. Dan is at 2,400 and Isha is at 3,000. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, bridges, give that book a prize, pop musicians, energy glossary, and or middle earth, RTH in quotation marks, and reunion. So mm-hmm. it's about unions, I guess. It's a fun pair with unions from the previous round. Yeah. 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 A nice mix of prizes in Give That Book a Prize. We had the Newberry, uh, which I which I did deep dive on. uh, A question about about the Newberry, a a, a Newberry winner uh, at the $400 level um, about Bridge to Terabithia. We had the Caldecott medal at the $800 level. Nobody knew the 1982 Caldecott medal winner by Chris Van Allsburg, where there are monkeys and rhinos literally in the house and the game was afoot. Yeah. It's Jumanji. Jumanji. These, these children. These whippersnappers. They're, they're, they're so, they're so young. They're so young. And they, they were probably not even alive when the movie with Robin Williams came out. No. And they, I mean, you probably wouldn't get, I don't know. I haven't seen the more recent Jumanji, but yeah, I doubt that would lead you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had questions about the Nebula and the Pulitzer prize for fiction. I think I have registered that rabbit is rich is I, I read it because I'm trying to read all those Pulitzer prize winners, but blah, which, which I, I got because it. of, I, because you talked about it. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that one. Yep. Uh, and then, and then at the two thousand dollar level, um, a question about Saul Bellow and his mm-hmm. National Book Award wins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Daily Double number two is in Reunion at the twelve hundred dollar level, and Tim finds it at the seventeenth pick. Uh, he's at fifteen thousand eight hundred um, with Dan at twenty eight hundred and Isha at eighty two hundred. So pleasing. So pleasing, <laughs> the twos yeah. and the eights. Um, Tim wagers 3,000. And his clue is, the complete name of this large labor union says it also includes chauffeurs and warehousemen. He tries, what's the UAW? Um, that's not correct. I guess I guess I see where he's coming from. Yeah, not a bad there, guess. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, UAW is auto- I think auto workers. Workers, yeah. right? So, like, I can see where, where you would be like, oh, well, maybe, like, maybe they've, maybe they've like, looped chauffeurs in there. Um, the Teamsters is what they were looking for. Uh, and Daily Double number three is the $2,000 level of Bridges. And Dan finds this one. Uh, he's at $6,800. It's pick number 23. Tim is up at 14400 And is at 9000 He wages 3500 and the clue is tradition says that a couple who kisses while passing beneath beneath this Venetian bridge in a gondola will enjoy eternal love. Mm. 
and he doesn't know he guesses what's the bridge of destiny and Mayim respond or like comments that you sighed while you were thinking of it and I thought you were gonna get it because it's the bridge of size yeah uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round Tim has a lock with a with twenty thousand dollars Isha's at 9400 Dan is at seventeen hundred the final jeopardy category is laws in US history. And the clue is a radical Republican championed this 1875 act, but the Supreme Court struck it down in 1883. A new version was passed 81 years later. Dan did not come up with anything. He just has what is and a blank. He's wagered 38 bucks. Isha has it correct with what is the Civil Rights Act and a shout out. uh, Love you, little bro. Uh, And yeah, so nice. Um, She's wagered 1,117. And Tim has, uh, he had what is the Voting Rights Act, but then he crossed out voting and changed it to Civil Rights Act. So that is correct. Um, And it it didn't really matter because he wagered zero uh, and had a lot game. So that gives him the win and we'll see him again at the semifinals. Yep. Uh, So on Thursday, we get the contestants Maggie Brown, a sophomore, as Johnny pronounces it, (laughs) at the University of West Florida from Pensacola, Florida. Caleb Richmond, a sophomore at Georgetown University from Bedford, New Hampshire. And Hannah Neckritz, a senior at Brandeis University from Stamford, Connecticut. Stamford. Stamford. Every time. Every time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you. Thank you to the office for making me aware that Stamford was a city. Yes. Um, we have the Jeopardy round categories, birds near water in the sport, course descriptions, random stuff, which is also called trivia, U.S. history, and that's D minus work. So each response is two words, mm-hmm. one with a D, one without. We had a, a tricky one there at the $800 level. Uh, crushed up paper into a ball loses a D and means walked through water up to the knees hannah uh rings in and says what is weighed and and weighted and what and she like has figured out right like that she needs yeah she she knows what she needs she can't get the words right so it's 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 something to do with wad and weighed but each of those have one d so how do you get them to a state where one has one more d than the other and then Maggie follows up with what is Wade and Wad, which both of those have one D. And then finally, Caleb gets it with Wadded and Weighted. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah was on the right track yeah. and just ran out of time kind of working out what tense this needed to be in to kind of meet the criteria. Right. Because you drop a D. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we had classic Jeopardy in the uh, sport category. Every single one of those was a triple stumper. Which is unfortunate, and nobody. Yeah. Uh, no, I was going to say nobody even offered a guess, but there were there was at least one guess offered, but no, they were all triple stumpers. I will say they were a bit challenging. Yeah, um, at least a couple of them. The thousand dollar level chucker gagbit mallet, a lot of money. That's polo. Who knows polo? Yeah, I mean, I I recognize chucker. I think I will say. None of the contestants in this game went to an Ivy League school, so perhaps that's why. <laughs> do I have polo? Oh, don't start with me, all you <laughs> fancy bigwigs over there. 
but there there were some that I was like, oh come on guys, even I like I don't know these sports all that well, but even I was able to get you know like penalty killing at least for hockey. It was like that's I've heard, you know I know that I don't know hockey very well at all, but I know that one. Yeah, and like you know inherited runners pick off at the two hundred dollar level. That's baseball, but whatever. I'm sure barstool sports were able to have a grand time with it because. <laughs> Barstool Sports. Um, Daily Double number one is in U.S. history at the $600 level, and Caleb finds it at the 14th pick. He is far in the lead. Hannah's at 600. Maggie's at negative 800. He has 5,200, and he wagers 5,018 of it. And he gets the clue. Civil War generals issued a lot of general orders. This man's number nine of April 1865 sent the Army of Northern Virginia home. And he gets it correct. It's Robert E. Lee. So uh, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Caleb has kept his lead. He's at 12,418. Hannah is at 1,400. Maggie is at negative 400. The double Jeopardy categories are Paul, Pauly, Paulus cities. Uh, there's like hyphens before each of those. So cities that end with those suffixes. Hit albums, action and adventure novels, transport over the ages, documentary subjects and odd words i wonder what makes them odd i feel like that's very subjective yeah yeah although i will agree that brouhaha is an odd word i will agree with that i don't know i get xenophobia doesn't seem weird but yeah i don't know brouhaha is from the french like i if i had tried to guess i think that I would have thought it was from Irish hmm. or something. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. It did seem surprising that it was from the French. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, xenophobia does not strike me as an especially weird word. Yeah. Or odd, I guess. I don't know. Or ampersand. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of a word. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Fans of Monopoly learn that the B&O Railroad stands for Baltimore and Ohio at the yes. $800 level of transport over the ages. Mm-hmm. And then we had a triple stumper in the $1,600 level there was uh, as part of reparations after World War One, Germany provided to the U.S. one of these, the LZ-126. Hannah guessed what's a submarine. Maggie guessed what's a U-boat, which is just a German name for a submarine. Yeah. Well, really... An American name for a German name for a submarine. Because <laughs> the Germans just call them Unterseeboots. But that's a Zeppelin. That's what the Z is for. Mm. I believe the L is for lead. So this was like the early, early rockers. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. That was a joke. But okay. Thanks. I, th- I thought Thanks. I thought it was. And then I was like, wait, am I missing? So yes. No, anyway, <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah. moving on from my very, Goodness very gracious. good joke. Uh, just after that clue, we get daily double number two. Uh, it's at the $2,000 level of transportation. Caleb finds it. He is at 20,818. Hannah's at negative 200. Maggie's at negative 2000. So, uh, he's in pretty good shape. I would say, uh, he wagers 10,018 gets the clue merchants on this trade route with a fabric in its name. Use the Bactrian camel to hump their goods along. And he gets it correct with what is the silk road? Mm-hmm. Remember, Bactrian camels have two humps because a bee has two humps in it. Right. Dromedaries have one. Because a bee has has one. one. That's Mm -hmm. why. 
Uh, Daily Double number two is in documentary subjects at the $1,600 level, and Caleb finds it at the 18th pick. He is at 31,636. I've got to say, like when he wagered an amount ending with 18 again for his second Daily Double, I was like, I hope he misses it because then he'll go back to a nicer number and I'll be able to parse the scores. Uh, But there's no hope for us at this point when he wagers $10,018. Hannah's at 5,800, Maggie's at negative 2,000. And he gets the clue. It means excessive talkativeness. It's from the Greek for word, and it wins Nupur Lala, the national spelling bee, in a classic doc. Uh, he tries what is verbose, um, but it is logoria. Um, and I remember that documentary. It's Spellbound, is that right? I think that's right. Yes. That sounds right. Yeah, it was Spellbound. That was a good one. It's been one a while. But... Yeah. One of the kids who was in that is good friends with another one of my friends, and it's always very weird to like see her at parties and stuff. Be like, um, I saw you on TV. <laughs> you were you were eleven <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to you about it, but also I know you're a real human being with a whole life probably tired of talking about this documentary you agreed to be in when you had really no idea what the implications would be for you as a 36 year old. I don't know. People, people come to me and they're like, you're probably tired of talking about Jeopardy. I'm like, I am never tired of talking about Jeopardy. I will talk about it forever. Thank you. Never ever. Yes. Uh, So who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Hannah's at 9,000. Caleb is in a lock position at 23,618. And Maggie just couldn't get it going. Is at negative 16. Hundred. Uh, the final Jeopardy category is nonfiction, and the clue it has the line: "The discovery of America opened up fresh ground for the rising bourgeoisie." Uh, Hannah wrote most of what is the Communist Manifesto, but really only got what is the Communist Manny, which sounds nice. It's less expensive than the Communist Manny Petty. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That's absolutely right. Um, so that was incorrect, and Caleb got it correct with what is the Communist Manifesto, um, mm-hmm. and shouted out Georgetown with Hoya Saxa or whatever. But he was in a locked position anyway, so it really didn't matter all that much. And on Friday, March 3rd, uh, we move into semifinal game one. Our contestants are Avi Gupta, a senior at Stanford University from Portland, Oregon, Jackson Jones, a junior at Vanderbilt University from Louisville, Kentucky, and Lucas Minor, a junior at Yale University from Miami, Florida. And the Jeopardy round categories are historic names, colors of the rainbow, U.S. sites, Disney menagerie, novel keywords, and complete the pangram. Uh, A pangram is a sentence that contains every letter of the alphabet. Um, these pangrams will be provided without the word that contains the letter Q. And the contestants will need to fill in the word that includes a Q. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess it was nice that they made that clear. It didn't have, they didn't have my favorite pangram. Which is? Sphinx of Black Quartz, Judge My Vow. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I just That's wanted a to good hear one. you say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wanted to hear me say it. So, um, although quartz was was one of the keywords. Yes. Yes, it was at the thousand dollar level. Most birds don't, but and here's where the pangram begins. Jackdaws love my big sphinx of this mat- this mineral. 
Jackson got that one. Quartz. Yep. There's kind of a funny, I guess, ish rebound in the US sites uh, category at the $600 level. Uh, the clue is head to the Presidio and check out Industrial Light and Magic and the film production company named for this man. And Lucas got in first, but he guessed who is Walt Disney. Mm. He missed the opportunity for mm. Lucas to say who is Lucas because it's George yep. Lucas and Jackson got the rebound. Yes. I hadn't caught that it would have been would have been funny for Lucas to say who is Lucas. Uh, oh, hey, let me throw in a, a, a trivia fact. A Disney Menagerie at the $200 level, this flying elephant has his own ride at Disneyland. Uh, Lucas got that one. It's Dumbo. Dumbo actually has a ride at every single Disney park in the world. I think it's the only ride that you can find at every Disney park huh. worldwide. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yep. Now you know. Now you know. Daily Double number one is back in that U.S. sites category at the $800 level. It's pick number seven, and uh, Jackson finds it. He is at 800. Lucas is at 800. Avi is at negative 2,000, uh, and he wagers 1,000. Gets the clue. Monsieur Jacques is the mascot of the frog capital of the world, Rain, in this state's Acadia Parish, and even gets a statue. And he gets it correct with what is Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Lucas is at 800, Jackson is at 6,800, and Avi just got out of the red and is at 200. And the double Jeopardy categories are art movements, you're such an idiom, around the world, quotations, a lovely accent, and the lanthanides of March. Mm-hmm. I thought the rebound at the $1,600 level of quotations was funny in a different way. Um, uh, the clue there was throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet was part of her descent of dismantling the VRA. I don't know what about this made Jackson think of Phyllis Schlafly, but uh, that was his guess. And then Avi got the rebound with like Phyllis Schlafly's opposite, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, I assume that Jackson like, misinterpreted the quote or, or something or, yeah. you know it, it reminded him of some different quote or like whatever right like i don't i i very much doubt that jackson like you know just mixed up those two people but but it was yeah i don't know <laughs> the the whiplash yeah, from know. who is phyllis schlafly to who is ruth bader ginsburg was intense i enjoyed avi's you know kind of kind of his presence his style there were some responses that he gave with like gesturing to indicate, uh, you know, the baseball jerseys mm-hmm. uh, at the $400 of level of a lovely accent. When he on the when he got the very last clue uh, in You're Such an Idiom, uh, opened up a can of worms. He had some, you know, some dramatic flair. I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed his presence even as he was uh, trying to fight mm-hmm. Jackson's runaway game. I feel like that can be a discouraging uh, situation, but Uh-oh. he was having fun up there. Daily Double number two is in around the world at the $1,200 level, and Lucas finds it as the seventh pick. He's at $4,000 and makes it a true Daily Double. He's trying to catch up, get closer to Jackson, who's at $10,400. Um, Avi's back at $1,800. Uh, he gets the clue. The book Noah's Flood proposed that the event happened when the Mediterranean burst into this sea 7,600 years ago. 
he tries what is the Red Sea, um, but the correct response here is the Black Sea. Uh, so he drops to zero, um, but there's still 23 clues to go. So it's not, all right. is not lost. But I mean, all is lost. But Theoretically, you know, there's, there's <laughs> still a chance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then at pick number 18 is daily double number three. Jackson uh, finds it. It's at the $2,000 level of you're such an idiom. Uh, he wagers only 200 because he's at 19,200. Lucas is at 2,800. Avi's at 4,600. He is, you know, nearly, or, you know, he's about four times ahead of Avi. He's in good shape. Gets the clue. If something is relatively easy to do or understand, then it's not this Robert Goddard's field. And Jackson uh, clearly listened to my deep dive quiz from a couple weeks ago because he knew that that's rocket science. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Lucas has a lot game with 21,000. Uh, Avi's at 8,600. Lucas is at 3,600. The final Jeopardy category is American literature. And the clue is letters, pocket knives, sea rations, and steel helmets are among the tangible items referred to in the title of this modern war classic. And Lucas gets it correct with what are the things they carried? And love to his family and friends. Uh, he's wagered two, 1,202, bringing him up to 4,802. The things they carried. Mm-hmm. It's a good book. Vietnam, like a collection of short stories, mm-hmm. I think. Um, kind of interconnected short stories by Tim O'Brien. Uh, Lucas is the only one who gets this. Uh, Avi just wrote, what is thank you? I love you all. Go card. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he's wagered 1,948, uh, drops him down to 66.52 and Jackson tried, what is a farewell to arms? I guess I see it. Yeah. Arms, I guess, I see I it. guess could be okay. the thing in there. Yeah. Arms sort of. Yeah. And, uh, and a little shout mm-hmm. out to his mom. So nice. Uh, he's wagered 1,220, uh, which doesn't risk his lock, drops him down to 19,780 and sends him that on to the finals. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the moment in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. If you have a couple bucks a month that you would like to send along to help us with offsetting the costs of making this podcast, that would be most welcome. You know, there are various costs associated with hosting and the the services that we use to try and, you know, make the make the editing process as smooth as we can. So thanks to those of you who are doing that. And uh, if that's something you're interested in, go check it out. We put a little bit of exclusive content on there. We try to put the quiz questions. <laughs> um, uh, did you put the quiz quiz questions last week? Kyle? Oh, nuts. Did I? I think I, I did. Don't know. I don't even remember. <laughs> I now. don't know. I don't. I'm. I'm not trying to call no, you. I, think, I just didn't check. I think check. I did. I think I did. I was. I was going. I was gonna. I was gonna call back to your. If we're yeah, feeling saucy which, again, uh, I was not that one day. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I don't even remember. I usually feel saucy, so mine go on. I don't know, maybe sixty percent of the time. Um, the, it's a great Patreon, and you'll get a lot. You'll get yes. a lot of the content, specifically sixty percent of the quiz questions. At some point, maybe. yes, um, I, I did. Uh, if it was, if the last one was, in fact, the Priestly deep dive, ye- then yes, yes, I did. yes, I, yes, it was. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So hey, look, we're doing we're it. Real adults. <laughs> um, so. 
if you, if you'd like to help us with the podcast, we, we can offer <laughs> we you very little in return. <laughs> um, there are more important things in the world than sending us a couple of dollars, possibly in exchange for some quiz questions so that we can pay for our, uh, our website hosting and whatever, though. So you can find some of the things we really care about in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses for me? Yeah. Let's get the first one out of the way. You're talking about like Noah's Flood and the no, Black Sea. No, okay. Mm-mm. I just needed to make sure. There are a bunch of other ones that could be good. Are you talking about Sylvia Plath? Yes. Oh, yes. Nice job. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one That one really had my name written all over it, didn't it? It did. It, it was definitely my second choice yep. of, mm-hmm. of your options there. So nice. Yeah, Sylvia Plath. Everybody knows the one thing about her. And honestly, we're going to head into that, you know, but like, hey, let's let's learn about Sylvia Plath. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvia Plath. Uh, was born on October 27, 1932 in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, her mother, Aurelia Schoberplath, uh, was a second-generation American of Austrian descent. Her father, Otto Plath, was from Germany. Uh, he was an entomologist and a professor mm. of biology at Boston University. He authored a book about bumblebees. Um, yeah, bees will come up again later, too. On April 27, 1935, her brother Warren was born. And in 1936, the family moved from Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, which is like a, a suburb of Boston, like a like a close suburb, like on the T, uh, to Winthrop, Massachusetts, a little more suburban. Uh, while living in Winthrop, eight-year-old Plath published her first poem in the Boston Herald's children's section. Over the next few years, Plath published multiple poems in regional magazines and newspapers. At age 11, she began keeping a journal. Uh, in addition to writing, she showed early promise as an artist, winning an award for her paintings from the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards in 1947. Otto Plath, her father, died when Sylvia Plath was young. He died in 1940 uh, when she was eight, um, a week and a half after her eighth birthday, of complications following the amputation of a foot due to mm. untreated diabetes. Um, yeah, he'd actually, he'd had a friend who, um, got lung cancer and he thought that he had lung cancer and which somehow led him to not pursue treatment until it was, until it was pretty, um, pretty dire. Um, Hmm. yeah. Uh, raised as a Unitarian, uh, Plath experienced a loss of faith after her father's death and remained ambivalent about religion throughout her life. In one of her final works, she wrote that her first nine years sealed themselves off like a ship in a bottle, beautiful, inaccessible, obsolete, a fine white flying myth. Um, She attended Bradford Senior High School, uh, now Wellesley High School uh, in Wellesley. She graduated in 1950 and uh, went on to attend Smith College, which is a private women's liberal arts college in Western Massachusetts. Uh, She edited the Smith Review. After her third year of college, she was awarded a position as a guest editor at Mademoiselle Magazine, during which she spent a month in New York City. Uh, That experience was not what she had hoped for, and many of the events that took place during that summer were later used as inspiration for her semi-autobiographical novel, The Bell Jar. Uh, She was especially furious at not being at a meeting the editor had arranged with Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, whom she loved. 
That sent her into a bit of a crisis. A few weeks later, she slashed her legs to uh, see the quote I saw is if she had enough courage to kill herself, which the um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she also was not accepted into a Harvard writing seminar with author Frank O'Connor, uh, which was another kind of blow to her mental health. Mm. She was um, started getting treated for depression with electroconvulsive therapy and then made her first medically documented serious suicide attempt on August 24th, 1953, taking her mother's sleeping pills and crawling under the front porch of the house, mm. uh, she, which she survived. Um, she then was hospitalized. She spent the next six months in psychiatric care, um, receiving more electro convulsive therapy and also insulin shock treatment which I think electroconvulsive therapy there there are similar therapies that are still in use insulin shock treatment is is not that is um, the use of high doses of insulin to cause low blood sugar and coma all of this happened at McLean Hospital uh, which is a pretty famous psychiatric hospital in like the Boston area Plath seemed to make a good recovery and, uh, and returned to college after that. In January 1955, she submitted her thesis, The Magic Mirror, A Study of the Double in Two of Dostoevsky's Novels. And in June, she graduated from Smith, uh, summa cum laude. Uh, she was also a member of the Phi Beta Kappa Academic Honor Society. She obtained a Fulbright scholarship to study at Newnham College, uh, one of the two women's only colleges of the University of Cambridge in England, where she continued actively writing poetry and publishing her work in the student newspaper Varsity. Um, let me pause. I wasn't sure where to fit this in to say like she was success most successful as a poet, but her aspirations were more as a prose writer. Interesting. Yeah. So she she was writing throughout her throughout her youth and writing a lot of a lot of stories and a lot of prose in addition to the poetry, but the poetry seemed to be, you know, what what was published and more and what got more attention. Hmm. Uh, Plath met poet Ted Hughes on February 25th, 1956. Uh, he was already a well-known poet. She was familiar with his poetry. Uh, she met him at a social gathering. The two quickly became romantically involved and married less than four months later on June 16th, 1956. Uh, honeymooning in Paris uh, before they returned to England and Plath continued her studies. Early in their marriage, they had an interest in kind of occult and supernatural things and often used a Ouija board. Uh, that'll come up again later. Um, in June 1957, uh, the two moved to the United States. And um, for a period of time, Plath taught at her alma mater, um, she found it difficult to teach and have enough time and energy to write. And uh, in the middle of 1958, the couple moved to Boston, where she took a job as a receptionist in the psychiatric unit of Massachusetts General Hospital. And in the evening, she would sit in on creative writing seminars given by poet Robert Lowell. Anne Sexton is another well-known poet who also... Uh, attended those seminars, and they got to know each other there. Lowell and Sexton uh, encouraged Plath to write from her experience, and that that advice sort of shifted her toward um, kind of a more confessional style, which is what she's really known for. Mm -hmm. 
Plath and Hughes traveled across Canada and the U.S., uh, staying at the Yaddo Artist Colony in Saratoga Springs, New York, in late 1959. Uh, Plath says that it was here that she learned to be true to my own weirdnesses. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, but she continued to be anxious about writing confessionally from uh, deeply personal, private, vulnerable material. Uh, the couple moved back to England in December of 1959 and lived in London. Uh, their daughter, Frida, was born on April 1st, 1960. And in October of 1960, Plath published her first collection of poetry uh, titled The Colossus. It's the only volume of poetry that was published before her death in 1963. It contains 40 poems. There's a later posthumous, like like a like a later edition that is somewhat yeah. expanded, but the original one was 40 poems. Um, the title comes from Colossus, a character who, a character who appeared in the Ouija board games that she and Ted Hughes would play. Do I don't know what's the hmm. I don't know what the verb is here. That is a, um, yeah. Who, I'm not sure what that is supposed to be. Yes, but there was this Colossus figure from from those experiences who would through the Ouija board direct her to write poems on certain topics the Colossus the the, the work not the not this uh, supernatural figure um, received largely positive reviews highlighting Plath's voice as new and strong individual and uh, these were UK reviews it was uh, it was a UK uh, publication individual and American in tone uh, Peter Dickinson at punch called the collection a real find and exhilarating to read full of clean easy verse hmm. yeah in February 1961 Plath's second pregnancy ended in miscarriage uh, several of her poems address this event and in a letter to her therapist Plath wrote that Hughes beat her two days before she miscarried hmm. In August she of 1961, she finished her semi-autobiographical novel, The Bell Jar. And immediately after that, the family moved to the small market town of North Totten in Devon. Uh, and then their second child, Nicholas, was born in January 1962. Um, in mid-1962, Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes began to keep bees, which would be a subject of many of Plath's poems. As they were in the process of relocating in August 1961, the couple rented their flat that they were vacating to Asia Weevil and David Weevil. Hughes was immediately struck uh, by Asia as she was by him. In June 1962, um, Plath had another suicide attempt, this time a, a car accident. Um, and then in the wake of that, discovered that Hughes had been having an affair with Asia Weevil. And so um, shortly after that, uh, Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes separated. Beginning in October 1962, right after that separation, Plath experienced a great burst of creativity. She wrote most of the poems on which her reputation uh, now rests, most of the ones that she is best remembered for. Uh, in December 1962, she returned alone to London with their children, and she rented a flat there at 23 Fitzroy Road. Uh, the winter of 1962 to 1963 was one of the coldest in 100 years. The pipes froze. The children, who were at this point two and nine months, were sick often. Uh, the house had no telephone. Her depression returned. Uh, but she completed the rest of her poetry collection, uh, which would be published posthumously. Mm -hmm. um, 
during that winter, the Bell Jar was published um, under the pseudonym Victoria Lucas. Uh, the Bell Jar is a semi-autobiographical novel, as I mentioned. It is often regarded as a Romana clay because the protagonist's descent into mental illness parallels Plath's own experiences. Uh, the protagonist, protagonist's name is Esther Greenwood. Um, we see some familiar events from Sylvia Plath's own life, the literary internship, a suicide attempt, psychiatric hospitalization, and uh, and some other some other things that are autobiographical. Um, the novel was published under Plath's name later on in 1967. Um, it was not published in the U.S. until 1971 in accordance with the wishes of Plath's mother. In 1963, after The Bell Jar was published, Plath began working on another literary work titled Double Exposure, which was never published. In 1979... Uh, long after her death, Ted Hughes um, referred to Plath having left behind a typescript of some 130 pages, but in 1995, he spoke of it as just 60 or 70 pages. Mm. So, I don't know. In January 1963, Plath sought treatment for depression. She spoke with John Horder, her general practitioner, describing her depressive episode that she was experiencing. It had been ongoing for six or seven months. For most of the time, she'd been able to continue working, but her depression had worsened and become severe, marked by constant agitation, suicidal thoughts, and inability to cope with daily life. Uh, she struggled with insomnia. She was taking medication uh, to be able to sleep. She was waking up too early. Um, her doctor prescribed her an antidepressant. He prescribed that just a few days before her suicide. Knowing that she was at risk living alone with two young children, he says that he visited her daily and made efforts to have her admitted to a hospital. That didn't work out, but he arranged for a live-in nurse to help support her. The antidepressants that she was on could have taken up to three weeks to take full effect. That's not uncommon with antidepressants, by the way. If, you know, if anyone needs to mm. hear that, that it, it can take some time. So it's likely that when she committed suicide, her prescription would not have taken full effect. On the morning of February 11th, 1963, the nurse was due to arrive at nine in the morning to help Plath with the care of her children. Um, upon arrival, she couldn't get into the flat, but she eventually gained access with the help of a workman. Uh, they found Plath dead with her head in the oven, having sealed the rooms between her and the sleeping children with tape, towels, and cloths. Uh, she was 30 years old at the time. Her intentions have been debated. Her downstairs neighbor, Trevor Thomas, reported that she had asked what time he would be leaving in the morning. She wrote a note reading, call Dr. Horder with the doctor's phone number and posted it where he would have been able to see it. Um, so, you know, there was speculation that maybe, maybe she, you know, wanted someone to see and intervene and the downstairs neighbor, um, the, the escaping gas had seeped downstairs. And so the, the downstairs neighbor survived, but he, he was rendered unconscious by the gas while in his sleep. Ah. Yeah. An inquest was held on February 15th uh, and gave a ruling of suicide as a result of carbon monoxide poisoning. Hughes is said to have been devastated. They'd been separated for six months at the time. Uh, they were still legally married, however. So Hughes inherited the Plath estate, including all her written work. Um, he's been condemned repeatedly for burning her last journal, saying he didn't want her children to have to read it. He also lost another journal and an unfinished novel, the 
130 or 60 to 70 pages, I think, that, that I mentioned earlier. Plath's gravestone has been repeatedly vandalized by those who are aggrieved that uh, she is remembered on her gravestone as Sylvia Plath Hughes, mm-hmm. attempting to chisel off the word Hughes, leaving only the name Sylvia Plath. Ted Hughes removed and replaced it repeatedly. Her second book of poetry to be published was Ariel, published posthumously. It was originally published in 1965, two years after her death. In that edition, Ted Hughes changed Plath's selection and arrangement by dropping 12 poems, adding 12 that were composed a few months later, and shifting the order of the poems, in addition to including an introduction by the poet Robert Lowell, uh, the American poet whose seminars she'd attended. In 2004, a new edition of Ariel was published, which for the first time restored the selection and arrangement of the poems that Plath had left. The 2004 edition also features a foreword by Frida Hughes, uh, Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes's daughter. Uh, The poems in Ariel mark a departure from her earlier work into a more personal and confessional mode. Uh, The impact of Ariel was dramatic with its dark and uh, perhaps likely autobiographical descriptions of mental illness. Uh, Daddy and Lady Lazarus are a couple of the titles to know from that one. Many of her later poems deal with what one critic calls the domestic surreal in which Plath takes everyday elements of life and twists the images, giving them a nightmarish quality. In 1969, on March 23rd, Ted Hughes's mistress, Ossia Weevil, uh, killed herself and the four-year-old child, Shura, that she'd had with Hughes in their London home. Mm-hmm. Uh, There is a lot of antipathy toward Ted Hughes, the most powerful and notable example being uh, feminist poet Robin Morgan's work castigating him, including one piece in the book Monster that envisions a group of Plath aficionados torturing and murdering Ted Hughes. Uh, Ted Hughes threatened to sue Morgan over this. Um, The book was withdrawn by Random House, the publisher. Uh, Robin Morgan was the editor of the 1970 anthology Sisterhood is Powerful, an anthology of writings from the women's liberation movement, uh, which has been cited by the New York Public Library as one of the most influential books of the 20th century. She included Plath's poem, The Jailer, in which the speaker in the poem condemns her husband's brutality in that anthology. In 1971, there were two more posthumous works published, Winter Trees and Crossing the Water, um, including nine previously unseen poems from the original manuscript of Ariel. I haven't been able to like find out much about these books, um, but there are several children's books by Sylvia Plath, which I'm curious about them. And also, like, how do you market that? Yeah. Hey, get this for your kids. Uh, Don't ask questions. Yep. Uh, 1976's The Bed Book, illustrated by Quentin Blake, who... Isn't he the one who illustrates Roald Dahl's stuff? Am I remembering that right? Uh, I might be. I'm not recalling that specifically. Yes. Quentin Blake is the illustrator of who's associated with Roald Dahl. The It Doesn't Matter suit was published in 1996, Mrs. Cherry's Kitchen in 2001, and collected children's stories also in 2001. Uh, Plath's letters were published in 1975, uh, edited and selected by her mother. The collection, Letters Home, Correspondence 1950 to 1963, came out partly in response to the strong public reaction to the publication of The Bell Jar in America. 
1981, The Collected Poems, uh, edited and introduced by Ted Hughes, was published, um, containing poetry written from 1956 until her death. It was posthumously awarded the 1982 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Her adult diaries, starting from her first year at Smith College in 1950, were published in 1982 as The Journals of Sylvia Plath, edited by Francis McCullough with Ted Hughes as consulting editor. Uh, And in 1982, when Smith College acquired Plath's remaining journals, uh, Hughes sealed two of them until February 11th, 2013, the 50th anniversary of her death. In 1998, uh, Hughes published some work of his own birthday letters, uh, his own collection of 88 poems about his relationship with Sylvia Plath. Um, He hadn't published very much about his experience of the marriage and her subsequent suicide. Uh, The book caused quite a sensation and topped the bestseller charts. Uh, It was not known at the volume's release that Hughes had terminal cancer and would die later that year. In 1998, shortly before his death, he unsealed the two journals and passed the project of the fuller publication of her journals along to his children, Frida and Nicholas, who passed it on to Karen V. Kukul, uh, who finished editing in December 1999. The unabridged journals of Sylvia Plath was published in 2000. In 2003, Gwyneth Paltrow portrayed Sylvia Plath in the biopic Sylvia. Plath was portrayed as a permanent, depressive, and possessive person. A friend of Plath and Hughes, Elizabeth Sigmund, criticized the film but conceded the film has an atmosphere towards the end of her life which is heartbreaking in its accuracy. Uh, Frida Hughes, Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes's daughter, uh, at that point a poet and painter, was angered by the making of entertainment featuring her parents' lives. Uh, She accused the peanut-crunching public of wanting to be titillated by the family's tragedies. Mm. Which, you know... Fair enough. And we may be guilty of some of that here. Hopefully we're being respectful. But um, uh, Smith College holds Plath's literary papers in the Smith College Library. Sylvia Plath was featured on a postage stamp in 2012. Uh, An English heritage plaque records her place of residence at 3 Chalcott Square in London. I believe that is... Yeah, that's where that was where she lived in London with Ted Hughes before they before they left London. Um, in 2018, the New York Times published an obituary for Plath as part of the Overlooked History Project. Her daughter Frida Hughes is a writer and artist. On March 16 of 2009, her son Nicholas Hughes hanged himself at his home in Fairbanks, Alaska, following mm. a history of depression. Um, yeah. So it's it's a sad story, but hopefully we know a little bit more about Sylvia Plath now. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's a it's a bleak one, but you know, that's that's Sylvia Plath and uh you know, it's I guess it's it is important to remember her. Yes. Um yeah. So yeah, that that was heavy and important. And we will we will bring some levity with a quiz. Yes. Uh, are you so you're ready for a quiz? I am, as always. All right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna lighten it up a little a little bit, but you know, I I, I didn't want to be too irreverent. So um, this is a right. this is a quiz on posthumous awards. Okay. Um. Yeah, because she received the the 1982 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry posthumously for her collected poems. So question one, what British musician received only one Grammy award 
during his prolific multi-decade career. Uh, And then four Grammy Awards posthumously, two for the album Black Star and two for the titular song from that album. You surely know his music. And perhaps you also remember his cinematic turn as the Goblin King. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although I thought Elton John was still alive. I'm just kidding. It's David Bowie. (laughs) It is David Bowie. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He got like a lot of Grammy nominations over the course of his life. Um, But yeah, he had one win in 1985 and then those four in 2017 after his death. All right. You are at 20 points because you got the topic. Yes, I did. Yeah, you did. Uh, Question two. Since 1974, the rules of the Nobel Committee have stipulated that Nobel Prizes may not be awarded posthumously. However, in 2011, the Nobel Prize in Medicine was announced and it was discovered that one of the two co-recipients had passed away just three days prior to the announcement. Ralph M. Steinman was this recipient. And after some rules lawyering, he was awarded the prize posthumously for his discovery of dendritic cells. The cells are named based on their branched projections and get their name from a Greek word meaning what? Uh, I've never thought about this, but I would... Dendritic. Yeah, but I would assume that's trees. It is, because dendrochronology is tree ring study? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. Yes, and... I assumed, like, I'd seen words like dendritic um, in neurology, but these dendritic cells are, in fact, immune cells. Mm. Yeah, I think there are also dendrites in the nervous system. Yes. Uh, Yeah, but that's that's different. Um, Yeah, dendritic cells um, are a type of immune cell which, like, present antigen material on the surface of the dendritic cell to the T cells. Mm. All right. uh, You're at 30 points. Question three. All determinations of sainthood in the Catholic Church are, of course, made posthumously. Uh, This process often happens in two stages. The first recognizes a person as being in heaven. Its name comes from a word for blessed. Of those who receive this honor, some are later formally entered into the catalog of saints and declared worthy of public veneration. For five points each, what are those two processes called? Uh, I'll take the noun or the verb or whatever. Okay. There are two terms that come to mind, and I do not know if they are anywhere close to that meaning. Uh, But I will say canonization and beatification. Yes, you are correct. Yeah, beatification is like declaring that a person is blessed. You can you can use like blessed correctly, mm-hmm. you know, in church settings to refer to them uh after they're deceased. I think they they have to be like associated with some with a mir- at least one miracle uh and uh they are like declared to be in heaven and that if someone were to pray in their name, they can like intercede with God. And then canonization is this sort of more this process that formally and like permanently enters them into the like the the listing of like the saints. Uh, yeah. Mm. Okay. 
All right. I was worried that one was too tricky. Mm-hmm. So yay. Uh, you're at 40 points. And question four. Plath was not the only posthumous Pulitzer recipient. Actually, I had a few to choose from here. What three-named author of A Confederacy of Dunces died in 1969 and received the Pulitzer for that novel in 1981? What is that name? I won't make you be more specific about the middle name. What is the name? I'm so bad with these names. Did my clue get you the middle name? I mean, it makes me think Kennedy, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't actually know if I know that. I, I mean, I know the name of the, as in I have heard the name of the author of Expedity of Dunces. What, uh, I am not going to get this. I am blanking. Okay. It's John Kennedy O'Toole. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm hmm. And uh, something interesting to know about a Confederacy of Dunces, um, there have been repeated attempts to turn it into a film. John Belushi was attached to a project uh, and then and but but died before it could be completed. Uh, Chris Farley was considered uh, John Candy. uh, And given those three, there are people who uh, claim that the project is cursed. Mm. Cool. Um, Good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, got to have a hard one in there. You're at 40 points. Question five. Hopefully, hopefully this isn't another hard one. I guess we'll see. This doesn't happen too often, but Jochen Rint posthumously won an award in his sport, not because of his lifetime achievements, which is how that usually happens, um, but because he was far enough ahead in the standings when he died during practice that no other competitor overtook him and he won the championship. What sport did he compete in? Recent winners of this championship include Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, and Sebastian Vettel. Hmm. Uh, that's Formula One. It is Formula One. Yes. Uh, yeah. Jochen Rint had won five out of 10 races, hmm. I believe, when he died in 1970. And died in he was killed during practice for the italian grand prix um and is the only driver to be posthumously awarded the formula one world drivers championship nice i mean not that he died but cool that he still like i mean got the award yeah he had just done so well that even though he could not compete in the remainder um just couldn't be caught of the yeah he couldn't be caught all right you are at 50 points. And the final category is the Oscars. Oof. Ooh. I mean, I got to go for the triple digits. So mm-hmm. I got to go for it. I'll bet it all. All right. Good. I think that's a good choice. In 2021, the Academy Award for Best Actor went to what Howard University alum who had tragically died of colon cancer at the age of 43? The award was for his work in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but you probably know him better from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh Oh my God. I I just forgot his name for a moment. Chadwick Boseman. Isn't it terrifying when yeah, that it's happens? Like, I know exactly who this is, and I know that I know him. And I'm, I'm, I was about to say half the name and forget the rest of the name. But yes, mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman. Yes, yes, Chadwick Boseman. 
did you see did you watch wakanda for uh it's wakanda forever is the new one is that right i have not seen all of it yet yeah i just watched it on the airplane it was good Mm. it was it was the beginning was heavy Mm. there were parts throughout that were heavy but you know especially especially the beginning i think right you know but the way that they handled it was really beautiful Mm. yeah um so hopefully that was a little bit less of a downer than the deep dive um but hey, a hundred points for you. I did it? Yes. Very nice work. Thank you. You yeah, did it. That was. I. I wouldn't necessarily say enjoyable deep dive, but it was worth it. Um, now I know. You know, by, as we talked about, I know mm-hmm. I knew one thing about Sylvia Plath. So now I. Yeah. I'm glad that I yep. know more. Yeah, it, it was interesting to read about her. Very sad, though. Well. Anyway, um, that's that's our podcast. Thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope that it was not too much of a downer for you, and I hope you learned something. Uh, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at potentpotables, on Twitter at potentpotables1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpotables pod.com we'll be back next week with another week of jeopardy and until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker 